It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. If you grew up in church, you're rather well-versed on when to stand up, when to sit down, you know, the lyrics of the songs, and, well, you know, certain Bible passages. Hi, this is Nathan. In our study in Ephesians, I'm consistently reminded that the reality of Christianity is not based on religious do's and don'ts. It's not about a checklist of things that we're supposed to keep. Rather, the reality of Christianity is all about a relationship. And in today's Daily Thunder, we're going to be specifically looking at this idea that we have intimate, close relationship with Jesus Christ. But before we jump into today's Daily Thunder, I just want to remind you that we've opened up our summer 2021 discipleship training program registrations. If you're interested in taking a season of your life to be trained in the word of God and how the Christian life actually works, whether you can come for our longer five-week program or you're only able to come for our one-week program, I'd encourage you to check out the information for this upcoming season of discipleship training. You can find out more information by going to ellersley.com forward slash daily. Now, as we dive into today's Daily Thunder, we're going to be looking at a passage in Ephesians chapter two and look at this idea of the intimate nearness that we have with God himself. Again, we've been walking through this uh, section that begins in verse 11 and goes down to verse 22, uh, looking at what Jesus has done within the, the body of Christ or the, or the church. And uh, again, we've been <clears throat> walking through uh, this passage, and as, we, as, we, as, we, as we've been walking through, we've been looking at over the last several weeks, specifically at verses 14 down through verse 17. And uh, what I'd like to do is read specifically for, uh, verse 14 through verse 18, and then focus uh, on verse 18 this morning. Uh, but this is what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. For he, Jesus, <clears throat> is our peace, who has made both groups one and has broken down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus making peace." And that he might reconcile both to God into one body through the cross, thereby slaying the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Uh, Look at verse 18 again. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Uh, I've actually been really excited about verse 18 uh, because in verse 18, <clears throat> you just see a hint of the Trinity. That all of this is through Jesus, by one Spirit, unto the Father. Which is just a fun thought as, as we get into there. Again, just as a quick review, in verse 14, Jesus declares, or Paul declares, that Jesus is our peace. That Jesus doesn't merely give us peace, he is our peace. Which is probably an encouragement for this morning, after the election. And uh, again, he's taking these two groups Right? These Jews and these Gentiles who utterly hated each other, and he's brought them together and made them one. And more for Ben's sake, I just want to remind you that, that the Jews and the Gentiles absolutely hated each other. So much so that what the scholars tell us, are you ready? What the scholars tell us 
is that in the Jewish mind, the only reason why God created the Gentiles was that Gentiles were supposed to be the fuel for the fires of hell, which is intense, obviously. And if you looked at a group of people and thought the only reason why God created that group of people was because they were supposed to be fuel for the fires of hell, you're not going to be friends. Uh, There's not going to be any relationship, uh, which sounds like our political parties right now. Uh, But nonetheless, Jesus has really reached into this reality of the Jews and the Gentiles and all this hostility. And where did this hostility come from? Well, it all came from the law, according to Paul in verse 15. That here's all these laws and ordinances, and what, what has happened is that the Jews have really excluded themselves from the rest of the world because they received the law, and because nobody else has followed the law, and God has chosen them, there's all these walls and these barriers and these divisions. So what did Jesus do? Through his death upon the cross, all those barriers and all those walls came crashing down. Now, everything that stood, or stood as a divide between these two groups has been removed so that the Jews and the Gentiles, as it says in the end of verse 15, might be made into one new man, therefore making peace. And not only that, in verse 16, we were told that he reconciled both to God in one body through the cross. And if that wasn't enough, as we looked at uh, last week, verse 17, here's Jesus. Not only is he peace, not only does he make peace, but in verse 17, he proclaims peace both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Uh, Sorry, I just lost my place here. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. And he is proclaiming peace. Again, he himself is the peace. Now, all of that is coming to a climactic conclusion in verse 18, which is rather neat. In verse 18, the whole big summary of this little thing that God has been doing in the Jews and the Gentiles is stated as, For through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Unto the Father. Uh, You realize that all the way up into this point, uh, up into the point of the cross, there was always an impersonal nearness that the Jews had access to. Uh, The Jews never actually had intimacy with God. They could get close, but they couldn't have the intimacy. Now, it is interesting as you go back to the Old Testament, there is this undercurrent that what God was longing for was closeness and relationship and oneness. Uh, You hear that in the beckoning of the prophets, where the prophets are crying out, hey, repent. Hey, turn from all of your prostitution, your idolatry with the world, and come, be married to the one who, who saved you. Speaking about God himself. So you have that current, uh, but I think one of the greatest pictures of this is in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Uh, Moses is on the brink of the, of the promised land. He's reminding the Israelites all that God has been doing over the last 40 years as they've been wandering the wilderness. And, and he's about to recount the Ten Commandments. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, well, I guess we have time to read it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can flip there if you want to. Uh, but Deuteronomy chapter 5, <clears throat> right before he gets in the Ten Commandments, Moses begins to remind them a few things, and I love the language that Moses is using. <clears throat> and I'll just read the first couple of verses of chapter 5. It says that Moses called all of Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and ordinances which I am speaking in your hearing today, so that you may learn them and keep them and do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. 
the Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, we who are living now and here today. The Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. And I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire and would not go up to the mountain. So here's Moses and he says, do you realize what God was doing? God was speaking to you face to face, but you decided not to draw near. You pulled back and kind of pushed me out front and said, Moses, you deal with him. And if you survive the mountain stuff, we'll listen to you. And you can be the mediator between God and us, his people. Now, at the end of the recounting of the Ten Commandments, uh, in verses uh, 23 down through the end of the chapter, I'll just read you the first couple of verses here. Uh, In verse 23, it says, When you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain did burn with fire, you came to me, all the heads of you tribes, and your elders. And you said, See, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. And we have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, then we will die. And so what they did is they took Moses and they pushed him up front and said, you deal with him, and if you survive, we'll listen to you. But you have this, you have this tone that what God was actually yearning for was intimacy with his people like he had with Moses. The, the same kind of face-to-face relationship, that same kind of nearness, God actually longed to have with his people. But because his people were so fearful, now granted, if a mountain was on fire and there was thundering and boomings and lightning, you know, and all that kind of stuff, I'd probably be a little apprehensive myself. <laughs> However, that God's desire was to have relationship. And yet Moses became the emissary or the liaison between God and the people. In fact, you can actually see this even more clearly in Exodus chapter 33. Uh, in Exodus 33, <clears throat> it is recounting the fact that Moses would go to the tent of meeting, which they set up right outside the camp, and he would meet with God. And uh, it goes from verse 7 uh, down to verse 11. And I'm not, I'm not going to read it, but basically as Moses would walk to the tent of meeting, everyone would stand outside their own tent and watch Moses walk through <clears throat> but look at verse, uh, this is Exodus 33, verse 11. L- look, at, look at how this says this. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. And when he returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tent. I just love this. I just, such a profound thought to me. That here is this sweet relationship that Moses had with God. So much so that God was speaking to Moses face to face in this intimacy, in this relationship. But I love the fact that Joshua never left that, that he just lived in that reality. Could you imagine? And I think he's actually a picture of what we're to have. Because again, I think God's desire and what you see again in the Old Testament is that there's this longing for relationship Yet, because of sin and because of the perfect holiness of God, the people kept pulling backwards saying, no, 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 uh, we'll, take a, we'll take a mediator. And so God kept sending people, right? He had Moses, and then he had Joshua, and then you had the prophets come through. And, and so there were these people who had direct access to God, but the normal, the normal Israelite did not have access. So it was this impersonal nearness. 
that yes, we have God, and yes, we can go down to the tabernacle or the temple. I mean, the closest people that could even get to God's presence were the Levites. But even then, even though they had access into the temple, they did not have access in to the very near holy of holies, except one time a year for one guy for a mere moment. And what ended up happening with the Levites, as you all know, is that all of this became obligation and it became uh, driven out of fear and had this idea that, well, we can draw near, but we don't want to get too close. And there, there was all that stuff kind of wrapped up. So could you imagine what is taking place in our passage that here <clears throat> Paul's recounting the fact of what, what has happened at the cross is the fact that he's taken these two groups who've never had access, right? You had the Jews who the best, the best you could have up to this point as a Jew is I could visit God down, down at the temple once in a while and I can give him sacrifices. And, uh, and sure, I get to go to Jerusalem and, and I get to point and say, yep, there, there's my God and that's his dwelling place. And, but you realize that that's not intimacy. That, that's not relational. Um, as a Gentile, the best you could offer or the best that you could even have, I mean, you're, here you are, is a, you're an outcast. Uh, you're a Gentile dog. You have no access unto God himself. And yeah, they, they built a little court for you in the second temple. And when, when Herod rebuilt the temple, there was the court of the Gentiles. So if you were a Gentile and you wanted to worship the Israelite God, you could show up. However, we gave you a little bit of space. In fact, there was some uh, archaeology that's been found, and they found these signs that was on the fence of the court of the Gentiles. Let me just read it to you. I just think this, is a, this cracks me up. Not like a ha-ha crack me up, but like a oh. Uh, there was a sign that had seven lines, which if you know Jewish numerology, seven is really important. But there was <coughs> a sign, <coughs> pla- uh, pla- plastered, pla- placket, plastered. It was put all over. <laughs> it's been a long morning, apparently. Uh, but it was put all around the court of the Gentiles, so the Gentiles could not get it further than the court of the Gentiles. But here's what the sign read. <coughs> no foreigner is to go beyond this barrier and the plaza of the temple zone, whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. <laughs> it was basically saying, warning, do not trespass. And if you are a Gentile and you take one step over that wall, we will kill you. Why? Because, all right, you want to worship our God? Fine, you can worship our God. But, you, hey, you, there's no direct access. But even a, even a good Jew didn't have access they would vent, uh, visit the temple on occasion. It would be almost like us visiting Washington, D.C. Probably not this week, but visiting Washington, D.C. And, you know, and taking a tour of the White House and, and visiting the sites and, and going, yeah, I, I saw the White House. But that is different than being invited in to live in the West Wing and to eat your meals with the president you know, and to actually have relationship and sit in the Oval Office and converse and talk about policy and I mean, that is a completely different picture than what you and I have access to. Because I don't think any of us have that kind of access to the White House. So could you imagine as a Jew, you had access to a temple, and you could go down and do your sacrifices a few times a year. And hey, that's, that's great and that's wonderful, but that's different than saying, hey, God, I'm going to have a relationship with you. And yet God had chosen a few select individuals to have direct communication with, right? You had the Moses and the prophets and all those kind of guys. But that's still very different than what we're talking about here. Well, what has God done here? Look at this. Look at this again. Verse uh, 18 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. For through Jesus, 
we both now have access by one Spirit unto the Father. That now we have direct communication. Now we have direct relationship. Now we've been brought into a brand new reality. And it's not like, well, could, could I go visit God once in a while? This is He's now going to live inside of you, which is a whole other level of relationship and intimacy. Yes, God wants to save you from your sins, but that's not his end agenda. I mean, yes, he wants your sins forgiven. That that is important. <laughs> so I don't want to downplay that. But that's not the end. That's the beginning of the reality of the Christian life. Why? What is God wanting to do? He's wanting to bring you in into the fullness of his life where you can actually walk in freedom over sin. You actually get to have relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And now you have access in unto the Father through Jesus by one spirit. That is incredible to me. Now, in the passage, verse 18, the main verb of verse 18 is have. You have access. Have, that's the main verb. And it's interesting that word have is in the indicative. So I know you're excited. Settle down. The word, when a word is in the indicative as a verb, this is not a question. This isn't a possibility thing. An indicative is a simple statement of fact. So isn't it a, just a fun thought that this isn't like, well, maybe you'll have access. Maybe you won't have access. This isn't like a, well, I wonder if I get to have access. It is a simple statement of fact that through Jesus, you have access. You don't have to question it. You don't have to wonder if it's, if it's for you. Oh, maybe it's for special Christians. No, if you are a Christian, through Jesus, you now have access. That should cause you to bounce out of your chairs. Now, what do we have? It says we have access. Now, that word access is this idea of drawing near to. It's, it's a movement idea. And I love this definition. It is the freedom to enter through the assistant or favor of another. I have access. Why? Well, I've been given the freedom to enter through the assistant, assistance and the favor of Jesus. It is through Jesus by the Spirit that I now have access, intimacy, relationship, communion, communication with the God of the universe. Now, that word, by the way, access... Now we have access. Uh, is only, it's only used three times in the New Testament. <clears throat> and it's interesting, and I just want to give them to you really quick. Two of them are in Ephesians. Uh, the other one is in Romans. Romans 5, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So it has the same tone and tenor as our passage, that we have this peace. And how do we have the peace? It is through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's through him that we have access by faith into this grace into which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God, that we have been given access, again, the freedom to enter through the assistance or favor of another. Uh, so that's one time it's used. The other time, obviously, is in our passage here. And then the other one is in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, uh, which says that in Christ Jesus, we have boldness and confidence, or sorry, boldness and confident access through faith in him. 
In other words, we now have this boldness and this, we, we, we can now, uh, we can now enter in with confidence into him. Why? Because he's made it available. Isn't it a neat thought that, <clears throat> excuse me, as, as you're looking at this passage, here are these two groups who absolutely hated each other. God has removed everything that would divide them, everything that would become, become a barrier, and he's brought them together and he's made them one. And again, as I keep bringing up this idea, it is not from this point forward, there is no longer, there's no, there's no idea of Jewish Christian and Gentile Christian. There is no such a thing anymore. Why? He's brought them together. Now there's just Christian. So when you get to heaven, there's, there's going to be no Jewish Christians. And when you get to heaven, there's, no, there's not going to be Jew, or Gentile Christians. And as I continue to expand that, there's going to be no Lutheran Christians. And Baptists are not making it. And neither are the Charismatics. And those poor Methodists and Presbyterians. And you just go down the list. Why? Because what you're going to find in heaven is Christian. And there's going to be one body. And there's not going to be divisions. And I understand why we come to the conclusions that we do as denominations, fine, whatever. But really, there should be a, this picture of intimacy and oneness and closeness in the body of Christ, regardless of what church you go to. Why? Because it's Christian. And if you want to be a Baptist Christian, fine, be a Baptist Christian, but you better be a Christian before you're a Baptist. Because the Baptist part isn't coming with you. And you charismatics better be a Christian first. All right, let's get off that. <clears throat> but again, there's this oneness idea. And isn't it beautiful that in the oneness of Jesus, we all have access unto the Father? Here's a fun note to just to, to, just to notate. This whole verse, verse 18 of chapter 2, there's this, I don't know, I, wish, I need better language, but the whole thing just is tainted with this idea of relationship language. Isn't it interesting that what Paul did not write is that through him we have access unto God. What he wrote is through Jesus, through him, we have access unto the Father. It's a relational term. And I think that just, again, it bespeaks of the whole thing of what's happening in the passage, which is why this is a, a climactic declaration. It's because what, what Paul's been walking through in this whole thing is that th what Jesus has been doing is he's bringing us unto the Father. Why? It's relational. The Father wants relationship, which is why we don't have to call him God. We can call him Father. Which, again, is where this whole salvific thing is happening, where, where it's all headed. It's not just to save us from our sins. It's to get us into relationship and intimacy to be filled with the Spirit of God. Or as Romans 8.15 says, we now have the Spirit within us that cries out, Abba, Father. And again, Abba is the most intimate form in the Hebrew. It's that daddy language. It's not even dad. It's not even father. It's, hey, daddy. And now, because of what Jesus has done in our life, we now have access unto him, and we now have the privilege of calling him daddy. Uh, there's a great illustration since we're in the political season anyway, uh, when uh, JFK, right, right, there's that great picture where we're in the Oval Office and there's that picture of, here's JFK meeting with all these heads of state or whatever it was, uh, dealing with some major crisis issues. And uh, 
little John Jr. is underneath the Oval Office desk. You know what I'm talking about. I think it's a truck he's playing with. <clears throat> and it's this crazy thought of like, here's a kid who's hanging out in the Oval Office with his dad, playing with a truck underneath the Oval Office desk. I want to do that. But if I try to get into the Oval Office, I, I don't think I'll make it through the day. <clears throat> or at least I'll be in jail, right? Because the reality is, is I don't have that kind of access. And yet, John Jr. could really just march into the middle of the Oval Office in the middle of a strategic, important meeting, and he can just start goofing off and playing with a truck underneath the desk. Why? Relationship and access. Do you know what you have with God? You have that kind of nearness and access, that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. I mean, you think the presidential Oval Office is secure. Think about the throne room of God. I mean, do you imagine what security you would have to go into, the TSA up there, that you would have to, you know, to get through in order to get into the throne room of God? And yet, because you are a child, you've been adopted in, all you need to do is just stand there and just be, here I am, and you can just burst in the middle of the throne room. And as Hebrews says, we can actually boldly come into the throne room of grace and actually say, hey, Daddy, have a question for you. Uh, you do realize I'm, I'm running an entire universe. I know, but I got a question for you. And isn't it a neat thought that he will pause? He's, he's not going to stop running the universe. Let me clarify. <laughs> he's like, oh, stop everything. <clears throat> but there's, yes, he'll keep running the universe. But it's like he will purposely give you full attention that you're not going to annoy him. Why? He's your dad. You're not just going to like tick him off. He's like, oh, what are you doing here? I told you, just go play. Dig a hole, fill it in, dig a hole, fill it in. See, he doesn't, he doesn't do that kind of thing. Why? Because he's brought us into relationship. And now we have closeness and, and oneness and, and intimacy and, and, and that relational idea. Why? It is through Jesus, by one spirit, we now have access unto the Father. So, to make this practical, I know we know this, but are we actually living this? I think so, so often we, you know, we come to church and we know the songs and we've done the Bible studies and we know when to stand up and we know when to sit down and we go through the motions, but we forget we actually have relationship or we forget we have access. That in our prayer times, we, we come to God as if he doesn't know who we are. Uh, God, uh, hi, again, it's Nathan. Uh, don't want to bother you. Got a quick question for you. You know, could, could you somehow deal with this issue? It's important. You realize if he really is daddy, then we can talk to him as a father. That we can talk to him out of intimacy. We can talk to him out of relationship. We can talk to him. We can boldly enter in, burst through the doors of the throne room. Sounds still insane to me. And you realize that for a Jew, this is the most sacred thing that even... To take the heavenly picture and bring it on earth, right? The, the temple. And the temple was a picture on the physical earth of the reality of heaven. And so here's a Jew who goes to the temple. They would not dare draw near even to the veil. Why? Because there's, what happens if there's a big windstorm and the, the veil just kind of, that could be a problem. Which is why the, the thing was four inches, it was, it was the thickness of a man's hand. It was so that even during a big windstorm, this thing ain't moving. I mean, could you imagine the, the and again, you couldn't even get into the inner, inner court, so technically, 
right, as a normal Jew, right? It was there for the priests. But could you imagine, even as a priest, you're standing there and you know that God's presence is right on the other side of this veil, but, but I can't even get there. And this is the most holy place in the entire universe, physically. And so the fact that when Jesus died upon the cross, this thing was ripped in two from top to bottom. And it was a great picture showing that God is not going to be contained in a 30 foot by 30 foot by 30 foot box anymore. He is coming out. And it's also a symbol that we now have access in. Could you imagine how scary that must have been for the priests who were working on the inner courts during the time of the crucifixion? <laughs> when the veil is ripped in two, and you're, there's an earthquake, obviously, so that's scary. And then the veil starts ripping from the top, which you know is not humanly possible. And you're like, I'm now standing in the very near presence of God. And Paul, in his audacity, says, you have become that. That, that we actually get to be the dwelling places of God. Meaning what? We get to be the near and dear presence, or host the near and dear presence of God. That we get to be the dwelling place of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do we not realize that in our living? Do we not realize that when we, when we pray? Do we not realize that when we come into the body to, to worship corporately? That, that here we are, we have direct access to the king of the universe. What an amazing, amazing reality. Let me just give you a few verses just to think, think this through even more. Uh, but Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne room of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 10.19-22, Therefore, brethren, <clears throat> having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil, that is, his flesh, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. In John 14, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says in John 14, 20, and at that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. What is that? It's, it's, it's tight. It's intimate kind of stuff. John 15 Verse 4 and 5, Abide in me and I in you. And as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Here's Jesus. He takes these two groups. He removes every hostility and every wall and brings them together into one brand new deal. They're a brand new creation. They're called a Christian. And in the middle of being a Christian, those Christians get to experience peace because Jesus is their peace. And because they've now been adopted in, as we're told in chapter 1 of Ephesians, we now have access through Jesus, by the Spirit, unto the Father. And we can boldly enter in and say, Hey, Dad, i got a question for you. Dad, just one talk. And he will delight himself in that. Because the redemptive plan of God is not merely forgiveness, though that's significant. But it's forgiveness, yes, but power over sin, which is an amazing thought, but then bringing you into this intimate nearness and relationship with himself. What if we actually lived from that reality? What if we didn't just say, yeah, I've got access unto God? What if the world actually saw that being exhibited in our lives? What if in the middle of all the stuff that's going on, what if people begin to recognize that you seem to have direct access to, you seem like you talk with God face to face. 
Yeah, I kind of do. Because he lives inside of me. And what if the reality and the evidence of our life was, wow, we through Jesus are one body. And through that one spirit, we have access unto the Father. And we get to call him Dad. Daddy. I think that would change things in our lives. And how we did church. And how we engaged with culture. And how we walked with confidence. And how we'd pray. I want that. Let's pray. Dad, Lord, we really do want this. We don't want to just sit in theory or talk. We want it in experience, in reality. What would it look like if we realized that as secluded and secure as the temple was physically on this planet, the heavenly throne room is even more secluded and secure. And yet, through you, we have boldness, confidence, and access to enter in. And yes, we enter in humbly because of who you are. But Lord, what, what would happen if we didn't shy away from the fact that we actually have access? That, that we can be your child who comes and just sits underneath your desk and plays with a truck as you're managing the universe. And what would it look like if, if we just realized that you, you were wanting more in our lives than just our fruit, the forgiveness of our sins? And yeah, that's so critical and so important. But that is so that you can fill us with your very spirit. So that we can have relationship and intimacy and oneness with you. Lord, what if we would realize that, that we do have the privilege of calling you Father? daddy and we can converse with you and talk with you because we now have access that through your favor and through your graciousness we have been brought in lord somehow could you could you get that out of our mind and bring it down deep into our souls that we would begin to understand that who we are and whose we are because of you And Lord, what would it look like if if our praying was more than just talking to the ceiling or or talking out of uh, just mere duty and obligation of saying words? What if we began to recognize whom we were praying to? Lord, what would it look like if the way that we talked and the way that we lived and the way that we thought came out of the reality that we have access through Jesus, by the Spirit, unto the Father, what if, what if our evangelism, as we, as we walked out into our world and just shared the life of Christ, what if it flowed out of this reality? Lord, what if as we gathered together as the body, what, what would happen if as we gathered together it came out of this reality? Lord, truth be told, we are truly undeserving. We are not worthy And yet you condescend yourself to give us access. And it's not a question. It's a simple statement of fact. We have access through Jesus, by the Spirit, unto the Father. Lord, could we live in that reality today? Could you you show us practically what that can mean and how we talk and how we think and how we live and how we pray? 
And Lord, I don't want to just go about my life with you being distant. Lord, I don't want to live like the Israelites lived where they would just tip their hats to you on occasion and come down on, on you know, the synagogues on, once a week and down to the temple a few times a year. And Lord, what would it look like to live in the reality that you never leave us? And Lord, what would it look like if we lived in the reality that you were always near because you are living within us? And Lord, what would it look like to live in the reality of this? Lord, make this practical in our lives. Don't just give us theory and thought and ideas. Lord, change how we live. Change how we think. Change how we talk. Lord, you are our peace. You don't merely give us peace. You are our peace. And it is through such peace that we can boldly enter in to your very near, dear presence. May that be true in our lives, Lord. We give you praise and glory. We love you. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.